In Matthew chapter 25, we're going to read verses 31 through 46 together. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, open that up. We'll have the words on the screen, uh, but there's nothing like holding the Bible in your hands. If you need a copy, we have some copies on the back. Uh, what do you call that? Sound booth, podium, I, I don't know. But we would love to get you a copy. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word at home, take one of those with you. We want to make sure you're reading God's Word each and every day. The last uh, several months, we've been in uh, the end of the book of Genesis. We've talked about talking about Joseph. Last week, we ended our time in Genesis, and we talked about Joseph's burial. And then, uh, and so it got us thinking about how the last day of our lives is often more important than even the first. What type of legacy will you leave? And as we go into the season of Thanksgiving, I decided today just to have a one-off message, just something that I feel that we need to share as a congregation together about what does it mean to leave a legacy, especially as we're coming towards the end of the year, looking towards next year. What, what, what do we need to do? What do we need to have? What do we need to accomplish? What is God calling us to do? I'll give you the answer real quick. God has given you everything that you need to accomplish his purposes. And so we're going to ask this, this big idea question today. What will be your legacy? So what will be your legacy? It's our big idea to think through today. What will be your legacy? So let's begin by reading verses 31 through 34 of Matthew chapter 25. It says, when the Son of Man, Son of Man is Jesus, that's Jesus' favorite designation for himself in Scripture. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. In verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So here's the first thing we contemplate in these verses. When we think about sheep and, and goats, it, it reminds us that we choose our legacy. And you, and you might say, wait, but is it, hasn't God destined us for eternity? And I would say, yes, God destined uh, us to spend eternity with him, but he's given us the right to choose whether to follow him or not follow him. God doesn't destine anyone for hell. We choose hell. God created us for his presence in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We changed that in Genesis chapter 3 by our own choice. God didn't cause us to eat of the tree of knowledge of good. And you get what I'm saying, us, not Adam and Eve. We, we can blame them. We may have eaten it quicker than they did, you know. And so we would have made that, that choice ourselves. And so you choose your legacy. Will you inherit eternal life with Jesus or will you be apart from him for all time? We know when we think about legacy, we know that it doesn't matter what we accumulate here on earth. We will cast it all down. We will cast it all down at the feet of he who's given it all for us. You see, here's the deal. You won't be remembered by your accomplishments. At the end of the day, you won't be, you won't be remembered by your accomplishments. Other people might remember you by your accomplishments, but those who are closest to you, those who impacted you, 
they will remember the way you live each and every day. I've known people who've won uh, huge sporting events. I've known people who've held public office. And, and here's the deal. Those accomplishments are great, but then they live the rest of their lives as if they have no purpose to live for. You will be remembered by the choices that you make today and every day. It says that the Son of Man is now sitting on his throne, and he sits on his throne in, in judgment and in rule. And it says that he will gather all the nations. These are Jews, Gentiles, everyone, every, every tribe, nation, and tongue will bow before the feet of him who created us and has given us a purpose. And he will separate the sheep from the goats. And he's coming. Scripture tells us in Revelation 19, 11 through 16, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who's coming is called faithful and true, right? Sword coming out of his mouth, written on his thigh, King of kings, Lord of lords. He is coming back soon. We think about that ever more so now, right? When we turn, all you got to do is turn on the news and you think about the Lord's return. And that's been happening for, I hate to break it to you, for 2,000 years. It's not our, our, our job to know when the times are. Our job is to be ready. That's why in Matthew earlier, Matthew 24, just two chapters before this, Jesus began what he calls his Olivet Discourse. He tells four different stories about his disciples being prepared for the coming judgment and his return. Now he, fo he focuses in those stories about how they should rightly live. And now in chapter 25, he gets to telling them uh, what will judgment look like. So two chapters before, he had told them, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. So when you turn on Fox, CNN, whatever it might be, NBC, and you hear about Israel and Palestine, you hear about North Korea, you hear about what, Ukraine and Russia, what else? What, we've got to Yemen, you know, where, wherever. You hear about the southern border, you hear about school shootings or your mass shootings. They had one in Maine a few weeks ago. When you hear any of these things, no, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but here's what the Christian should do. Our reaction is not to freak out. Our reaction is this, see that you are not alarmed. For these things must take place, but the end is not yet. And when will we know that the end is going to come? If you go all the way, uh, if, if, you, if you go on in chapter 24, it says that the gospel will be proclaimed throughout all the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. I know even with the advent of internet, Abby Oye and I have talked about this, how there are countries where the gospel is not even allowed to be preached, but because of the internet and radio and things like this, the gospel is going out. The whole world has not yet heard about Jesus. I know that's hard for our American minds to grasp, but the whole world has not heard about Jesus. That's our job to fulfill the commission. That commission, the great commission in Matthew, at the end of the book of Matthew, is not just for those disciples. That great commission is for all of us. Do y'all know that one of the fastest growing churches in the, on the entire planet for the, for the past like three decades has been the church in China? Some estimates say the underground church in China outnumbers us here in the States, faithful followers of Jesus. We know the underground church in China uh, 
started out years ago and it was very, very, very small under oppression and rule, but under communist China, now 10% of Chinese claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 10% of the, lar of the largest nation on earth in a, in a place where they don't have buildings like this. In fact, those buildings, when they're allowed, end up getting torn down. They get ripped out of their homes. They're persecuted. Why have they grown that fast? How have they grown to 10% to be one of the largest churches on the planet when it's illegal? How? Because the people saw the responsibility of the Great Commission, and their choice was, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to fulfill I'm not just paying a pastor to do it. I'm not just uh, sending money to a televangelist to spread that message. Every man, woman, and child has chosen the Great Commission as their own. And every person sees themselves as a priest. I hate to break it to you. Jesus said, you're a priest. You can't mediate his, his plans to all of creation. There's one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. And so we point people to Jesus, not to people. We point people to Jesus. And that's the choice that we get to make. It says, before him are gathered all these nations. The word there for nations is ta ethne in the Hebrew. And it includes Jew and Gentile. It includes everyone. We know that it is appointed for man to die once and then comes the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, and then we know we go to the book of Revelation, which we all like to speculate about rather than being encouraged by, uh, but when we go to the book of Revelation, we see that then chapter 20, then I saw thrones and seated on them where the, was the whom was given the authority to judge, and it says before him were open books, and then those whose names weren't found in those books were cast into eternal darkness. But those whose names were found written in those books found eternal life. That's why one of my favorite passages at the end of Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 6 through 8 says, And he said to me, It is done. Here's the, here's the clue. When Jesus cried out on the cross, It is finished, there was no future battle to wage. The war is already over. It's already been accomplished for now and all time. And so he cries out, it is finished, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. And this is, our, this is the legacy we get to choose to the thirsty. So you have to ask yourself today, am I thirsty? Am I hungering for righteousness like the Beatitudes say? Am I thirsting? Am I longing for Jesus? To the thirsty, I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. You don't have to pay to drink of this fountain. You, because Jesus has already paid the cost for you and me on the cross. We wish we could end there, but the reality is for there to be eternity with Jesus, there's also eternity apart from Jesus. goes on and says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 through 8, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be with the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. 
I heard it said one time that there's a there's a death stronger than any death. There's a death worse than the death that we'll experience one day. See, one day we our bodies will shut down and you will breathe your last. But those who follow Jesus, we have eternal life. We have a promise. Those who don't follow Jesus, they die, but there'll be a second death that is eternal, that is everlasting. This isn't scaring you into following Jesus. We're focusing on the reward that we have with him. What we see here is that he separates the sheep and the goats. The sheep represent those who are his. Here's the thing about sheep. Those of you in here who follow Jesus, here's a little reality check about you and me. Sheep are dumb. We're dumb, we're dumb people. We need a shepherd to guide us. Y'all ever seen that video that pops up on social media a lot and they're pulling the sheep out of the little crack and then they get it out of the crack and it runs, it runs back to the crack? Y'all ever seen? That's what sheep do. That's why they need a shepherd. See, in this time, uh, Palestinian shepherds, what they did is they had sheep and goats, and these goats and sheep often intermingled. And from far away, it was hard to tell which ones were sheep and which one were goats. The reason they separated them, because sheep were more valuable. Sheep were kept in a pen in open air. Goats were put uh, under cover. And what we see is that the goats would, would eat and destroy, and but their milk wasn't as uh, some of you vegans, y'all like goat milk, right? You know, it's it's not that good, you know? God created cows for a purpose, right? You know, but we see that goats have don't have the same value as sheep. Sheep have a value because of wool, because of usefulness. But they're dumb. They need a shepherd to guide them, or else they'll 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 go over a cliff. They'll choose to go over a cliff unless a shepherd is there with his rod and his staff to guide them, like Psalm chapter 23 tells us. In the same way that it's hard to tell sheep and goats apart when you're far away and a shepherd has to discern who they are, it's hard for us as believers. We talk about choosing our legacy. It's hard for us as a believer to really see around us at times who are sheep and who are goats because we're not the shepherd. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, some of you will say, truly, truly, I, right? I cast demons out in your name, right? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. We shouldn't be scared by that if we're followers of Jesus. He's talking about false prophets in that passage. He's talking about people whose hearts are turned against God. But here's the good news for those of us who have followed Jesus. We have chosen a legacy that we can't build on our own. Only he can do it for us. Our identity is no longer liar, sorcerer, idolater. Our identity is now his. If you're taking notes, this next two verses I'm going to read, really kind of where I want to hammer home our application today. So our first part was you choose your legacy. Now we're going to talk about you live out your legacy. Because here's the thing, you will be known by what you do. You will be known by your fruit. Not just by the accomplishments you have, but how you live each and every day. Let's look at chapter 25, verses 35 through 36. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. 
I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The question is today, do you live in a way to fit these qualifications for those who follow Jesus? Because it's not about what you do. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, so that no man could boast. But we are his workmanship. We are his masterpieces created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared long in advance for us to do. That's what the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 tells us. Jesus' younger brother James writes in his book, Faith without works is dead. Faith without works. Some of the early church fathers had a problem with the book of James because they saw Paul's teachings and Jesus' teachings about grace to be different than James's teachings about works. We live in a city with a religious system that emphasizes works, what you can do. And then we, our response is, no, it's not about works. It's all about grace. But here's the deal. They work hand in hand. Those who have been saved by grace will do good works. That's what God called us to do. Those of us who've been, we are not saved by accomplishing a list of tasks, but those of us who are saved will be known by what we do, by our fruits, how we live. The fruit of the Spirit, it's easy to tell someone who has Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're always grumpy. It doesn't mean that they're always perfect. Laura thinks I'm perfect, right? I, she never gets mad at me, anything like that, you know, none of that. So like, here's the deal. It's not that you're not, that you're not imperfect, but what it does mean is that you do follow the perfect one. It means that you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and a sound mind. So write those six things down if you're taking notes. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison. And think about those who are around us. Those are some of the basic needs that people have in order to be met to hear the good news of Jesus. You might say, well, people don't listen to the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, and they don't respond like they used to respond. Okay, times are changing, things are shifting. But what people do respond to is authenticity, especially in this generation. People want people who are authentic. They see your warts and all. They don't want to just put on clothes on Sunday and act the perfect life. They want to know your real struggles. They want to know the reals. Everyone is looking for a savior. Like they, everyone, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us that's looking for something. That's why our world is finding, like, confused about identity, so they think they can solve their identity through sex and money and all these other things, and they can't because Jesus is the one who defines us. Jesus is the one who gives us our identity. So who around you is hungry? He said the sheep were the ones that, when he was hungry, gave him food. Some of these actually represent Jesus in his life. Yeah, I know we talk about refugees and sojourners. We especially we look at the border of Mexico and we think about uh, aliens—not aliens like oh, green little green men, but 
people who are ripped out of their foreign lands. I'd heard uh, one of my seminary professors said this. The Bible is a story about refugees, written by refugees. The Bible is a story about refugees, written by refugees. If you don't believe you're a refugee in this world, you were not born. You, this world is not, is, it doesn't define you. If you are, you're a goat. Like you feel that this is all that you can ever live for. But we were created for a better, better land, a better purpose. See, the Israelites all longed for a, a land, Jerusalem. They longed to build a dwelling place for God, a temple, and those things weren't bad. But God had a better land. Hebrews chapter 12 actually kind of alludes to this. Like, there's a better country for God's people. There's an everlasting country for God's people. God, no longer is God in a his presence followed by an ark or or being housed in a tabernacle or uh, or the walls of a temple. God's presence is now unleashed through you and me. He lives with us, Acts chapter 2. And one day every tribe, nation, and tongue will bow. It says the new heaven and the new earth. And what will descend from the new heaven and the new earth? The new Jerusalem. We look at this world, and, and it's like the author of Hebrews. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We know in New Orleans we don't have a lasting city. It could get destroyed. Any, we have a natural disaster every month, right? We forgot about the water, now wildfires, now super fog. You know, like we realize we don't have a lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. Our, do you know anyone around you is hungry? Do you know anyone around you who is thirsty? Do you know anyone around you who's a stranger and needs welcoming? Ed Stetzer, actually growing up, and I loved my childhood pastor, but our motto for our church was the end of your search for a friendly church. Here's the truth about nowadays. People aren't searching for church into your search for a friendly church. But you know what they're searching for? Friends. And how will they find a friendly church? They will find a friendly church through friendship, through family. Naked and clothed and sick and visited. These are all basic human needs. Prison. Author Hebrews says, remember those who are in prison. There are people in prison all around us, not just for the things that they've done, but spiritually in prison. My homework for you today is to go home and read Matthew 25, 35 through 36, and go through those hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, prison, and ask yourself, when you're thinking about legacy, God, which of these... Am I called to tackle? Not which of these is the church supposed to start a program to reach. Here's the deal. Programs aren't evil, and you can start it, and we will help you start it. Which of these is God calling me to? Which of these is God calling me to leave a legacy for? Bible says when we throw, I think about this every Thanksgiving. We're going to be out of town probably this year, um, but I think about this every Thanksgiving, and we, we think about 
um, inviting in the poor and the oppressed. Like when we throw a feast, scripture says, fine, don't invite your rich friends. Find those who don't have anything and, and invite them to the table. This is what God has called us as his people to do. You live your legacy, and we'll close out with this. You receive your legacy. So you choose your legacy, you live your legacy, you receive your legacy. You receive your legacy. Let's finish out verses 37 through 46 of chapter 25. It says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and we feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we, when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did to the least of these, Jesus is inverting the social structure here because we want to go for the famous and powerful. He's saying, no, I have come for, for the very last and the least, even as you did for the least of these brothers, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, right is a position of honor. That's where the sheep will be. Left is a position of disgrace. That's where the goats will be. He will say to those on his left, the goats, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire for the devil and his angels. So get that. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Eternity apart from God was not created for us. It was created for his angelic beings who rebelled against him. He cast them there. Here's the thing. I think some of us think of God as an angry God who throws people into hell and this and that. I say some of us are just jumping there. Some of us are going, that's why I love, let me find this quote, an old quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. Y'all, Charlie Spurgeon was a good guy, man. Like, listen to these words. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. See, I grew up in a, yes, most of us grew up in a church culture where we talked about heaven and hell. I got saved in an event called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. But I know some people, I was talking about this with Lizzie, some people grew up in a culture where you're just scared to follow Jesus rather than just following Jesus. We don't follow Jesus because we don't want to go to hell. Here's the thing. If you're apart from Jesus, you're living in hell already. Millard Erickson says, hell is simply the absence of God is giving people what they've always longed for. Hell is simply giving people what they've always longed for and what they've always lived for. It's the legacy. It's the legacy of war. It's the legacy of rape. It's the legacy of stealing. It's the legacy of, of death and cancer. This is, this is, we were not created for this hell that we're surrounded by. So hell is sickness and hurricanes and all these things. They're in our world because our world is broken. 
And even though we as Christians, we encounter these things, we ourselves get sick, we ourselves hurt, we ourselves bury people that we love, we ourselves get destroyed by natural disasters. While this earthly body may perish, nothing can touch our eternal reality. That's the hope for the sheep who follow Jesus. Let's continue to read. It says in verse 41, Depart from me, you cursed that fall, that cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you thirsty or a stranger or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. And then he will say to them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You receive your legacy, and I ask you today, what will your legacy be? You have a choice. Are we going to feed those who are hungry? Are we going to clothe the naked? Are we going to give the drink? I mean, think about Jesus with the woman at the well. Like, the water that he gives won't, won't go away. It wells up to eternal life. Will we give those around us who need something what is it going to take to reach all of Kenner, all of New Orleans, with the gospel of Jesus Christ? In Kenner, we have about 70,000 people. My census in 2020 was a little less than that, around 67,000 people. We probably, you look at the churches and y'all, hey, I hate to break it to you. Kenner, we got more. Kenner and New Orleans East, we're the home of the mega churches, right? because they can actually afford to build, you know? So, like, we have the biggest churches in the city in Kenner and in New Orleans East. Here's the reality. We have about five to 6,000 people in churches in Kenner. That's about over 60,000 who are likely, and you all know everybody in churches. So, we have over 60,000 people working way. I've heard it said that in New Orleans, there's about 35 to 40,000 probably faithful evangelical Christians. Y'all know how many people it takes up to fill the Superdome? Ken, what's the modern day capacity? 72,000. We have about 35 or 40,000 faithful evangelical Christians in Jefferson Parish and Orleans Parish. What I've said is that means we have more Saints fans than actual Saints in our city. What will it take to reach everyone with the gospel of Jesus? You can't do it by yourself, but God can. What will it take? I want to close by reading this story to you. It's in this book called The Multiplier's Mindset, written by a missionary's wife, Cynthia Anderson. So if you like stories, here's a good one to end by. I'm not a good storyteller, so I'm stealing someone else's story. That'll encourage you today. 
Cynthia says this, there was once a Nepalese farmer who lived in a fertile fertile valley not far from Kathmandu. This man had three sons. One was married and had a son in school. One worked in the big city for a travel agency. One lived at home to help him on the farm. The man was a simple, hardworking farmer, but he was also very wise. Whenever he sold his vegetables and rice at the end of the season, he didn't spend his earnings on new new toys for his wife or, or add a new room to his home. Instead, he invested in other businesses he'd heard about. Over time, some of those businesses grew and prospered. One day, a large company liquidated its assets and paid off its shareholders. The farmer received a a large sum of money, and he wondered what he should do with it. His thought was, I'd like to share it with my sons, but I don't want to spoil them. Asked his wife, what should I do? So they devised the plan. I will not tell them about the amount of money that I now have. Instead, I will ask them to come to me and tell me what they need. Y'all see where this is going? I will ask them to come to me and tell me what they need. Then I will see if I can help with those things. Feeling good about this plan, he called his sons and said to them, sons, I've made some investments over the years. I got a sum of money from them. If you have anything you need, let me know, and I will see what I can do to help you. The first son went home and told his wife about his father's announcement. Said, what, dad, what could dad get us? He's just simple. Uh, he's just a simple, uneducated farmer. But we should ask him for something at least, just to honor him. Their child was soon to start a new year in the primary school, and a few thousand rupees, which is their money, would be a big help. So the son went to his father and asked for money for the needed school supplies and books. His dad went back and returned to him cash, and the eldest son went away happy. The second son, who worked in Kathmandu, said to him, Dad couldn't have very much money as well. He never even finished class five in school. I guess he didn't finish fifth grade. We wouldn't think he's smart either. Well, one thing I could use is a bicycle so I don't have to take the bus to work every day. A new bike would be too expensive, though, maybe 10,000 rupees. But I have a friend who's selling a used bicycle. I could ask Dad for 5,000 rupees and maybe buy that. He visited his father, and he asked for the amount to buy the used bicycle, and his father went into the back room and returned with him cash, and the second son was happy. Now we get to the third son. The third son, however, thought for several weeks, and he said to himself, my father is the most amazing man that I know. He's not educated, but he has great wisdom. I've watched him interact with tradesmen in our village. He always seems to know what is the best to do, and I've never seen him waste even a few rupees on anything worthless. I'll bet dad has a lot of money in the bank. What I'd really love is dad could help me start my own business transporting vegetables back and forth from this valley to the city for sale. If dad could help me purchase a Tata truck for that, I could earn a very good living. He went to his father and he shared the idea and the father replied, that's a good plan, my son. Then they went to the, then they went to the city and purchased the truck and drove it back to the village. And after a few days, the youngest son drove home after delivery and the eldest son passed him by 
and said, what in the world? He stopped his work and jogged down the village road to the place where the truck was parked. And he said, is that yours? The oldest brother asked, where did all that money come from for the truck? Dad gave it to me, the youngest brother asked, answered. The eldest son grew angry, he stomped home and phoned the middle son. And do you know that dad, what dad did for our youngest bro brother rivalry, right? Y'all had to one up each other. We all know the story. He bought him a truck. I asked him for money for school books. What did you ask him for? A used bicycle. Come home. Let's find out what dad gave, why dad gave so much to our younger brothers and so, younger brother and so little to us. A few days later, the two elder brothers came to meet their father, and they said namaste to their father. They sat down on short wicker stools, and their complaints soon began. Money causes a lot of complaints, right? The father listened patiently until they had finished. Then he asked them, and this is what I want you to think about today, about your legacy. Then he asked them, didn't I tell you to come to me with your needs? And didn't I give you what you asked for? Yes, but, famous last words, right? Yes, but, we had no idea how much money you had, Papa. We thought you were just a simple, poor farmer. The father declared, I gave you what you asked for. Now go back and do your jobs. And be happy with it. What will it take to reach our neighbors for Jesus? What will it take to reach our city for Jesus? What will it take to declare to the nations who Jesus is so that he will one day he will come back and he will return for you and me and we get to be separated as his sheep? What will it take? I can't. I don't know, when you think of that task, you think more money, more people, more opportunity. Think about family church. We think more families, more tithers, a bottom floor sanctuary. Like, Abby has been talking about this in our Sunday morning group when kind of wrapped up today. have not because we ask not and I would say more so we have not because we believe not because you ask with confidence for that which you believe in Laura and I this time last year weren't I mean y'all know we were we we're still wrapping up our time in Metairie we're getting this church redone and coming over here and y'all know by God's grace we're about to complete a calendar year in our building for the first time as family church, and we're three years old. Like, you know, we're over three years old, and we haven't even been in our building for a year. Laura and I prayed and we asked God for certain things. We said, God, if you have us here, this is what we need. And I've shared it with some of you, and I don't mind sharing it with anybody who wants to ask. He gave us every single one of those things. Some of it was you. Some of it was the finances to do what we need to do. Every single one of those things and even more. 
and I've caught myself over the last years that last year I've stopped asking. And I've kind of been revitalizing my spirit lately. Why have I stopped asking? My father wants to give me a Tata truck, you know? He doesn't want me just to have a used bicycle. He wants me to have a Tata truck. He doesn't want me just to have books for school. He wants me to have a Tata truck. Why was the Tata truck more valuable? Because you could start your own business. You could, you could, uh, you could leave legacy and money to your own children. See, a bicycle gets broken down and falls apart, right? You grow out of it very quickly. You get excited. You give your kids their first bicycle from at Christmas, right? They grow out of it very quickly. It gets left in the rain once and it rusts, right? It's done for. The truck leads to an inherit into a, a portfolio that even when that truck breaks down, you buy another truck. You become more productive. As we close today, I want to ask you, what do we need as family church? So, I'm, so I, I opened at the beginning. I said, what will be your legacy? I want to close with this. What will be our legacy? Not just your legacy. What will be our legacy? What will be family church is legacy? A, a church that's striving to love God passionately and love people personally. What will be our legacy? I'm going to answer it for you. The legacy isn't this nice building that we're now worshiping in. The legacy isn't how much money that we have when we plan our budget for next year. All those things are good. The legacy that we will leave is people. It's the only earthly investment that goes with you for eternity. Your 401k won't follow you to eternity. Some of you want to take your 401k and throw it into the pit of hell, right? You know, it won't follow you for eternity. People will. So ask yourself today, God, who around me is hungry? Who around me is thirsty? Who is naked? Who's in prison? Like, God, who are the oppressed around me? And who are you calling me to reach with your good news? And say, God, take me. I'm yours. Use me however you will to accomplish that purpose. See, he's not looking for the perfect person because he's already that person. He's not looking for more money because he already has it all. He's given us everything that we need right here and now to accomplish what he's called us to do. Our legacy simply should be yes. When God tells, you know, but end of Revelation, he says, come to the thirsty who are come, come. That's all he wants us to do is come and say yes. And he'll do the rest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this story of sheep and goats. And Lord, I pray that it's a reminder that we are yours, that you're guiding us. God, I pray that we would be useful and valuable. God, I pray for a day when we have more saints than saints fans in our city. And God, the only way that that'll happen is through your power and us saying yes. 
So God, help us to believe in you for a, a Tata truck <laughs> and not just ask you for something small. Lord, enlarge our territory. And Lord, may we be blessed so that we can bless others. Not to take from other people. So that we can pour out our praise to you. Lord, build us and use us right now. And help us to believe that you can do that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand?